talking about this whole life in the kingdom of God. And a part of that life is, is growth. And, and man, doesn't God give us those opportunities for growth? And, and children will certainly teach you, uh, what you what you need in Christ Jesus. My greatest theology was taught to me by being a parent, to understand the heart of God and the way he works. And one of the things that we're trying to do is understand, you know, what does it mean to have this life in the kingdom of God? Last week, I challenged you to go back and read John 17. I hope you did that. That entire chapter is a prayer to Jesus praying, uh, not only for the disciples that were there, but for us. Because in verse 20, he says, Father, I'm not just praying for these who are here, but I'm praying for those who will believe. And what he was doing was he was praying for those of us who've repented and believed the gospel. He was praying for us almost two millennia ago that, that we would believe and that we would become the people of the kingdom of God. And so now we're described, this is 1 Peter chapter 2, this describes those of us who believe. It says, you, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In this series this fall, what we're doing is we're, we're trying to understand what does it mean and what do we have by God, by his grace and his goodness, what do we have as the people of the kingdom of God? What we're trying to figure out is not only where we're from, the book of Acts tells us who we're from. You know, a lot of people are doing this DNA testing. Where am I from? If you're a Christian, let me tell you where you're from. You're, you're from Acts. You're from the book of Acts. You're from the people that God has redeemed for his glory by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's where you're from. That's your identity. And what we're trying to figure out is, okay, well, what has he given us in order for us to be the people of the kingdom of God. So today, one of the, what we're going to look at is we're going to understand that we have God's message. That there's the message of the kingdom of God. And the, the message of God, one word, it's the gospel. That literally means good news. The message of the kingdom of God is the gospel. You know, when we use three circles, you know, there's, there's that word that's gospel there. And there's a, there's a picture way that we describe three circles. And the guys were asking me this morning, which one do you want to use? You want to use the words or you want to use the pictures? And my answer is yes. Because they're both helpful. Because I, I like to, to be able to communicate uh, both. Because the word's important. Gospel's important. But what is the gospel? This picture that we use, this is the picture that, that is, is symbolic of, it's iconic of the gospel. There's three symbols there. Let me describe these to you. Sometimes I assume you know this and I just zip right through it. So let me take just a minute. Let me explain to you what each one of these, what each one of these symbols means. So the arrow downward, what that, is, what that tells us is that God left heaven and became one of us. God, eternal God, second person of the Trinity, he came and he lived a holy life. His name was Jesus Christ. He was born of the virgin. He lived a holy life. And then you see the cross. Well, you know what the cross means. He died. He had died an atoning death. His sin paid, his death paid for our sin. He never sinned. He lived a holy life. So when he died, he didn't die for anything he had done. He died for what we have done. He who knew no sin, he, he took on our sin so that we could become the righteousness of God. But on the third day, he was raised. So death could not hold him. He has been raised and he is one day returning. Friends, that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the message of God. All in, in three very simple symbols. Let me ask you, do you believe the gospel? Does it define you? 
Is it your hope? Can you speak to a time when you went from not believing the gospel to believing the gospel? Can you speak of a time, and it may not, I can tell you almost to the moment, I can take you to the location, I can tell you the night, June 28, 1988, I can go through a lot of details on what was happening. For some of you, it may be a week, it may be a season, but can you speak to a transformation that has happened in your life? Has Romans 10, 9 happened? What's Romans 10, 9? I put it on the screen for you. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, confess it, say it. Believe in your heart, not just, not just in your head. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. Now we know that it's the, it's the head that has the facts, but it's the heart that is compelled. It's the heart that says, not only am I going to have a, an understanding, I'm going to have a way of life. I believe this with all that I am. So, so he says, for with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth, one confesses and, and is saved. We confess the fact that we're one with Christ. We confess that he is our Lord. That's why we're baptized. It's one of the ways that we confess. We, we admit that we believe in Jesus Christ. We believe that Jesus is God, that he lived a holy life, that he died for our sins. He was raised on the third day and he's soon returning. That's the question we ask everyone who is baptized here. That's the first question. The second question is, are, are you going to walk down with obedience to him the remainder of your life? You're making a confession that Jesus is your Lord and you're buried with Christ. Your old life is over. You're dead. You've been washed. You've been raised. Let me ask you, First of all, have you experienced that? And secondly, does it matter to you? Or has it just become, oh yeah, yeah, it's gospel. I got it, I got it, I got it. Friends, you need to be very concerned if the gospel doesn't still move your heart. You need to be very concerned if you've never experienced Romans 10, 9 for yourself. You need to be concerned. You, you need to be concerned like a guy who lived in the 18th century, his name was John Wesley. You may have heard of John Wesley. He's, he's one of the most influential people in, in Christendom. Now, the interesting thing about John Wesley was he was raised in church. His daddy was a minister. He went to youth group. He went to church. He knew the Bible studies. When he was in college, he was a part of a, an accountability group where they hammered each other on memorizing scripture and, and, and living and being decent men and doing the right things. He went he went overseas on a mission trip. This guy was from London. He came to the United States and he led a mission trip. He was on a mission trip. He was preaching the Bible to Native Americans. And he was not saved. At the age of 35, he was gathering with friends and they were overwhelmed with the fact that they had a head knowledge but not a heart knowledge of God. They could tell you the stories. They could tell you what they meant. But there was never a transformation. There was never a, a Romans 10, 9 moment. And so they were getting together and they were trying to figure out, why do we have just a head knowledge and not a heart knowledge? Because the Bible talks about more. And so they began to get together and to talk about it and have a study. And a, a few months before the study began, listen what John wrote in his, in his journal. He said, I went to America to convert the Indians, but oh, who shall convert me? This is a good person. I mean, this is a person from, from outward appearances. Everyone would say, oh, that's definitely a Christian. I mean, he went on a mission trip. He, his daddy's a minister. He's been in church all his life. He led those studies. Surely he's, and he's saying, 
Who's going to convert me? How am I going to be saved? So they, they had this study. And uh, one of the guys had, uh, that was there, his name was William Holland, and a friend had given him a book. It was a commentary uh, on the book of Galatians written by Martin Luther, the great reformer. And, and Charles, uh, John's brother, was reading it. And, and that night, William Holland wrote of something that happened to him in this moment. He, he said, when Mr. Charles Wesley got to these words of Luther, I'm going to put them on the screen for you. What? Have we nothing to do? No, nothing but except of him who God has made for us our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. He went on to write, at those words I broke through and suddenly power came on me and I knew who he was. He believed the gospel and he was saved. He was radically saved. They knew that night at the meeting that something had happened. John Wesley that night wrote it in his own journal. Mr. Holland seemed to have found faith tonight. But listen to what he wrote. He said, but I don't get it. I wonder how many of you are here this morning and you don't get it. Maybe you've been in church all your life. Maybe you're like I was and you didn't know squat and you showed up to church and, and, and you're trying to figure out why in the world someone would waste a Sunday morning sitting listening to some bald guy talk about a, a book that seems irrelevant to everything else in my life. Maybe that's where you are this morning. I, I, I don't know. John Wesley was a place where he was seeing transformation and he was frustrated. He and his brother went to church the next week. They received the Lord's Supper. Both of them just basically said, this is emptiness. This is emptiness for us. Soon after, they had another meeting and they were still reading Luther. This time they were reading from the book of Romans, his commentary. That night, John wrote this in his journal. I'll put it on the screen for you. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. He believed the message of God and was saved. He confessed with his mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in his heart that God raised him from the dead and he was saved. With his heart he believed and was justified and with his mouth he confessed his belief and was saved at age 35. Having lived a good life, been a good person, been in church, but he wasn't saved. Friends, have you been saved? Are you passionate about God? Or are you just here because you know you're supposed to? Or are you just here because someone asked you to come and you're just kind of here? See, some of you are, are like I was. You are living silly, ridiculous, sinful lives. That's what I was doing before I came to know Christ. I was living a silly, ridiculous, wasted life. And that's what some of you are doing. Now, some of you are like John Wesley. You're good people. You're a good person. You know some things. But if you're honest, you do not have a heart for God. He is not your identity. He is not your great love. He is not your purpose. He is not what drives your existence. Something else created does. Something else you think that's important does. Something maybe you're doing, something maybe something else is doing. No matter why you're here today, here's what I know. Some of you don't get it. I remember sitting in church and thinking, I better get a date with this girl because I am wasting so many Sunday mornings. I did not get it. Friends, if, you're, if you don't get it, my prayer today is that you will. 
please consider what the Word of God says. Let's look at it. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Acts chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible, there's one in the pew in front of you. I encourage you, if you don't, just download the ESV app on your phone. Follow along with us. If you don't have a Bible, take that Bible with you. We've got plenty. We'll buy more. We're in Acts chapter 2. Mason's going to read for us. I'll stand together in honor of God's word. We're in Acts chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 38 through 41. Acts chapter 2, verse 38 through 41. Mason, go ahead and read that for us. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is for you and for your children and for who you are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Mason. If you would, go ahead and be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's Word. While you're doing that, let me remind you, we have these uh, journals. Uh, It's actually the uh, book of Acts. And on one side is the scripture. On the other side, there's a blank page. If you want to take notes in these, I would encourage you to do that. We're going to be in uh, Ephesians and Colossians and Galatians and Philippians next year. And we're going to make these available. It would be a good time to go ahead and get used to doing this because uh, at the end of next year, you could have five books of the Bible uh, uh, noted and, and, and as an encouragement to you. Let me give you some background. Go back to Acts chapter one. Let's remember what's going on here, okay? We're in, we're in chapter two, but I wanna catch you up to speed. I'm gonna try to do this to constantly press us into the story. So in, in Acts chapter one, Jesus has died and he's been raised. And so he's, he's shown up for the last 40 days to prove to the apostles that he's alive and to others. And so he's, he's explaining what he wants them to do. And he says, look, I want y'all to sit tight, hang in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit is coming. So if you, if you go now to verse 12 through 26, while they were hanging out waiting, uh, they realized they needed to replace uh, Judas on the apostolic roster. He had, he had committed treason. He had taken his own life. And so they raised up Matthias. God chose Matthias to take, um, to take Judas' spot on the team. And so now they've, they've done that and now go to Acts chapter 2. Now Acts chapter 2, this is known as Pentecost, Pente, 50. This is the 50th day after Jesus Christ was raised and it was on this day that the Holy Spirit came. And so the guys were all together, guys and gals, they were together praying. Holy Spirit comes in power, something like fire uh, comes upon their head like a tongue. They begin to speak in languages they never learned before. They go through Jerusalem and they're preaching. Some people are making fun of them. Some of them are terrified because they know something miraculous is happening. So Peter steps up and he starts to preach. And so what you see here is one of the first sermons of, of the New Testament having had the Holy Spirit come in, in power. And so after he preaches, the, go to verse 37. This is so crucial. Having seen this, having heard the sermon that, that cut some of them to the heart, they ask a question. Look at verse 37. Now, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Our text today is Peter's response to that question. And what he's doing is he's showing them and gives explanation of the message of God and what it requires. Three things I would encourage you to write down and remember. The first one is this. The message of God requires action. The message of of God requires action. 
please understand what you're seeing there in verse 38. This, this is not a comprehensive explanation of how a person is saved. This is what we used to call on-field coaching, all right? This is not film room coaching. This is on-field coaching. What's, what's on-field coaching? On-field coaching is when, if you're watching football, and you should, th- there will be coaches. You'll notice that each time, like the, 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 the offensive guys, are, they're looking at the side. What are they looking for? They're looking for a signal. And so they may, you know, defense coach may say cover two, man under. He may call for a a, a nickel package, a dime package. That's on-field coaching. It's not full explanation of everything you need to do. They're just basically giving you the, hey, here in a nutshell is what we're going to do on this next play. That's what Peter's doing. See, film room, film room coaching is harsh. Film room, they do stuff in slow motion. And they say, where are your eyes? Why are your feet doing that? Why are your hips turned that way? What's going on in this play? Why are you standing there? What's going on? And it's a detailed explanation. That's what the book of Romans is. That's film room coaching. That's step-by-step explanation of salvation. What, what Peter's doing here, he's saying, hey, uh, re- you need to repent. You need to be baptized. You need, uh, the Holy Spirit is coming and church membership. Woo, let's roll. That's what's going on here, okay? So he's not given a film room explanation. He's he's given the on-game training. Now, he says some very important things here. The first is this, repent. That's the first word out of his mouth. What do we do? Repent. Turn from self-sufficiency. Turn from sin. What what Wesley was longing for? Uh, something to trust in other than himself. Again, let's remember what, what led to his buddy being saved. What have we nothing to do? No, nothing, but except of him who God has made for us our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and, and uh, redemption. This is the work of God. Repent of trusting in any created thing. Stop looking to yourself. Look only to Christ and be baptized. Baptism is this symbolic act It's an act of obedience where those of us who've been born again, we announce that we are identified with Christ. Here's what our articles of faith say. Believer's baptism. We believe that Christian baptism is an act of obedience to the command of the Lord Jesus to make a a public and individual declaration of faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as Savior and of allegiance to Him as Lord. Baptism is immersion into water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit following a personal profession of faith in Jesus Christ. It is symbolic of the initial work of the grace of God in the heart of the believer and is neither a work that achieves salvation nor a repetitive act for repentance. Friends, understand, baptism is one time because you're born again one time. Once you're born again, you need to immediately be baptized. You need to make public profession of your saving faith in Jesus Christ and be identified with Christ as your Savior and your Lord. And and having believed and and repented, he he talks about this wonderful gift that is the Holy Spirit. And and one of the reasons that you will want to believe is because of of what the theologians call regeneration, new life, being born again. When I was saved... One of the things that really shocked me was the way my heart was different. There was no sociological reason for what was happening on the inside of me. All my life, I never cared about anything or anybody but myself. And suddenly, there was a radical transformation of my heart. 
I, I, I was like, why do I care? When did, what is wrong with me? I cared. That was not natural. That was supernatural. I was born again. I was changed. I believed. When we're born again, we are given the capacity to believe. If you're sitting here today and you're finding it hard to, to stay awake, I get I'm not a good speaker. Okay, I get that. But you're hearing the words of life. And if that doesn't bother you, you have a heart problem. Some of you who claim Christ, does, does your heart get stirred anymore for the things of God? I mean, is there, is there a movement of, 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 a, of a desire, of a longing? If there is, that's a gift. And it comes because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. It happens at salvation. It, gone, it continues to happen at sanctification. Our articles of faith say this about the Holy Spirit. Every believer fully receives or is baptized with the Holy Spirit at the moment of regeneration. He then dwells within believers to develop the fruit of Christ-like character and holiness, to guide, to assure, to comfort, and to intercede for them. He empowers them for, for life and mission and equips them to serve God through the church by spiritual gifts. Peter's listeners heard the message of God and some were moved by the power of the Holy Spirit to believe. Friends, have you ever been moved to believe? I'm not saying, did you show up to church? I'm not saying, have you tried to be a good person? I, I, I'm not saying, have you, have you done good things? Have you had a Romans 10, 9 moment where you've believed in your heart and you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and then changed? If not, you need to pray for that. You need to ask God to give you that experience. You need to ask for that heart. And if your heart this morning is, is, is being moved, you need to come and talk to someone before you get out of here because this is a gift. The gift of belief is a gift of God. Second thing, the message of God requires, it requires trust. It requires trust. You know, trust is a simple concept, isn't it? But it is a hard thing to do. Trust, I mean, not just, yeah, 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 man, I believe you, I, no, no, no. Trust, placing yourself in a position to, to deal with the ramifications of, of what someone else has said. I, I have difficulty trusting people. When someone says to me, oh, just trust me, I immediately know not to. Because if you have to tell me to trust you, there's probably someone has a reason for, for me not to trust you. And so, so quick way to get me not to trust you, say, hey man, trust me. Okay, I'm out. What else you got? Here's why I don't trust easily. I don't trust me. I know what's in here. I know what's lacking here. You guys have heard me. If you've been around our church for a while, if you're new to our church, you need to understand I'm a very irresponsible person, all right? I love Jesus. I really do with all my heart. Here's what my wife says. She once told me, you are 99% perfect. I was like, all right, you finally figured it out. I said, what's the 1%? She said, the 1% is you forget to do the 99%. <laughs> so when I did the math on that, it wasn't so good. I, listen, I, I have a well-documented history of forgetting, forgetting stuff. I, for, I, for, I have forgotten my children to pick them up at places. That's probably why they have trust issues. <laughs> I, I have forgotten to show up to, to important things where I was supposed to be speaking like weddings and stuff. I know that's awful. I'm trying to do better, but okay. So here's something. I, this is free, by the way. We are not charging for this. This is just part of it. There's a thing called a Remind app. Does anybody, has anyone, can I get a testimony? Can I get an A? 
I have 39 reminds for this week alone on my phone. Here's why. I don't trust me. I know I'm going to forget. I know bad things are going to happen to good people because I am not altogether here. I don't. Trust is not an easy thing for me. I trust the app, but you know what I trust even more? I trust the Lord. I, I trust his word because he has been so faithful. And, and we have every reason to trust God. Friends, you have every reason not to trust yourself. You have every reason not to trust me. You have every reason not to trust other people. It makes no sense for you not to trust God. It makes zero sense for you not to trust God. As a matter of fact, it is unreasonable for you not to trust God. We, we can trust him to save us. And because we can trust him to save us, can I just tell you this? You can trust him with everything else. <laughs> Let, just think about this for a moment. If you can trust God with your immortal soul, you can trust him with your income, can't you? I mean, if you can trust God with your immortal soul, you can trust him with your calendar, can't you? You can trust him for things that you can't control, things that are really big. You can, it, it makes sense, right? Here, here's what you got to remember. God has obligated himself to certain things and they're called promises. This helped me a lot. I, this is a Meredith Gould. She wrote this. This has helped me a lot uh, and I hope it will help you. She says, God, God's promises are obligations that he imposes upon himself to help guide the activities of his people. God's promises are designed to help strengthen human faith. It's not that he's obligated to us, it's he's obligated to himself. His promises, they impact us, but they are sure because he has promised them and his very identity as holy good God depends on them. And because he is holy and good, we can trust him. And he has made promises. Look at this, I put this on the screen for you. This is amazing. In the Bible, there are 7,000 promises in the Bible that are given to humanity. 7,000 promises. Like what? Isaiah 40, 31. But they who wait for or look to, that, that's the word kavah, the Lord shall renew their strength. Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. That word rest is from Anna and Pao. It means rest again. So you can get back to what you were created to be, which was at peace with God, to rest in God. Isaiah 45, 10, my steadfast love, that's the word kessed. I would encourage you to do a word study of the word kessed. You can, you can Google the Hebrew word kessed and it will, it will take you a long time to get to the depths of this word kessed. My steadfast love is how ESV translates it most of the time, shall not depart from you and my covenant peace shall not be removed. James 1, 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, let, God, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. That's a great promise. What am I supposed to do? Pray for wisdom. He will show you what to do. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your path. God will show you what to do. God will provide strength, rest, love, peace, wisdom, guidance. He's promised. It's reasonable that we would trust God. It's reasonable. It's like a little girl. I remember seeing, we were at an amusement park once and she had this little bear and the, and the person was saying, no, no, you can't take the bear onto the ride. And her daddy was standing there saying, honey, I'll hold the bear. And she's like, no. You know, and she's looking at him like, and she said, and he was like, that's enough. He said, sweetheart, you're alive because of me. You're wearing clothes because of me. You're in this park because of me. I gave you the bear. Give me the bear, get on a ride. And she did. Can I tell you something? 
Everybody in this room is holding a bear. And for some of you, that bear is keeping you up at night. And for some of you, it's making you very angry and miserable and the people around you miserable. Because here's what you keep doing. You keep holding it, thinking that you got it all figured out, don't you? You think you're smarter than God. You think the power of, of your concern is, 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 oh, I can't trust God. Oh. Friends, give it to God and go to sleep. Stop worrying. God's promises are sure. Just do a, a study of God's promises. It, it's, a, it's a great, listen, it, it aggravates me. It takes me about 20 seconds to go to sleep. I could go to sleep right now if y'all would be quiet enough in 20 seconds. There is, there is a peace that can come if you can just trust God. It's reasonable that you would trust God. It's unreasonable that you would trust you or any other created thing. It's reasonable that you would trust God. The, the message of God, is, it, it, it requires us to trust and last, requires obedience. The words that Peter spoke that day were, were out of obedience to his calling. Remember what Peter did right before Jesus died, just hours before he died? Jesus told him he was going to do it. He denied his Lord three times. Remember that? And so after Jesus died and was raised, he had to have a one-on-one -on -one talk with Peter. You remember that? It's on the screen. This is John 21. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to them, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, well, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, because he remembered, he's doing this because I denied him three times. He's now asking me to affirm him three times. And so he says, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So what's Peter doing on this day of Pentecost? He's obeying his calling. He's preaching the word. He's feeding the sheep. He's being the spokesperson. And then what were the people doing? They were, they were obeying. So what happened is, is that there were people who believed and they were baptized. Friends, have you been baptized? And let me make sure you understand. Have you experienced what we put in our articles of faith I read to you just a minute ago? Believer's baptism, not infant baptism, not, not baptism that someone else chose for you. Baptism that you have chosen, that you have made as a statement of your identity, that you are in Christ Jesus. Have you been obedient to be baptized? These people, they were baptized. And then look what happened. This is uh, verse 40. They, they were added about 3,000 members. Uh, there were added that day about 3,000 souls. What were they added to? Let me tell you, church membership. They were recognized as belonging to Jesus Christ in a church family. Friends, if you're a believer, you need to be baptized. And if you're a baptized believer, the Bible commands you to be a covenant member of a local church where you gather for worship, where you give tithes and offerings, where you send missionaries, where you affirm elders and leaders to the ministry, where, where you do the 59 commanded one and others that are found in the Bible. You can only do those one and others properly within the family of faith as a church member. Now look, here's the deal. Some of you guys have been dating us long enough. 
It's time to enter the covenant. So here's the deal. We have 20 open spots for our new members class tonight. Show up. And it's a great, it's M&M. Ministry and membership. And you know we got M&Ms and we got plenty for everybody. Come tonight. Some of you, listen, some of you who are not believers and you're wondering, is this stuff legit? Come. I, I, I challenge you to come tonight. Listen to what we say. What I love about our church, we got nothing to hide. Anybody can come to membership class and hear what we talk about, what's expected of us and, and how we care for each other. You want to come and hear about what does it mean? I would have loved when I was a non-believer to have heard this explained to me. It would have been helpful. For some of you, it's time. It's time for you to be baptized. It's time for you to join the church. It's time for you to walk in obedience with the Lord who has saved you and loved you. Some of you, it's time for you to stop worrying. It's time for you to stop being anxious and angry. It's time for you to realize that you are not God and that's a good thing. God is God and you can trust him. And so the invitation today is to trust the Lord. There's going to be leaders up here at the front that would be glad to talk to you about salvation, be glad to pray with you. But at the end of the day, friends, it's heart. Believe in your heart. Be transformed from the inside out and you will be saved. I know some of you don't get it. I get that you don't get it. I went to church a long time. I was trying to get a date with Miss Carrie, but I met Jesus and it worked out. Trust the Lord. Let's stand together. Let me pray for you. Father, I'm so grateful that we can trust you, God. I'm so grateful that it makes sense for us to obey you, to believe. And I pray for some today who need to come and talk with one of these leaders. And, and today is the day of their salvation. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for bringing this about. Lord God, I pray for some whose hearts are so cold towards you that this, they're, they're literally indifferent. And I pray that they're scared right now. I pray that they're very bothered that their hearts are so indifferent to you and that they would begin even today to pray for you to change their heart. And then Lord, for our church, make us a people who, who genuinely are, are born again, living in covenant with you and one another and doing what you've commanded us to do and be. God, we can't do it on our own. We need you. So do a work right now as we sing. Hear the prayers of those who come to pray. Save those who, who are seeking it. Give hope to those who, who need to be baptized. I pray they'll just fill out one of those cards and take it to Guest Connect say, I need to be baptized. Lord, I pray that they'll do it for your glory and their blessing in Jesus' name. Amen.